This is Brian Hudson. Welcome to Conversations in Focus. This is a program I've offered for some time now to help you meet people who are doing great work in our community, in a larger world. I'm so blessed to have today with me a young man, well, not so young anymore, but younger than me, who's doing a marvelous work in mentoring young people. That is Charles Brown. Welcome, Charles. Hey, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Here on Vision Stream Network, we feature programs that are informational, insightful, and inspirational. Today, we're into insight and information because we're talking about mentoring young people. Now, Charles leads a company entitled Vision Mentoring Group, and he has both worked uh, with schools. He is a foster parent. He is and has been uh, an adoptive parent. He has great experience in this area of helping young people to get through life, helping to rescue and help and, I mean, really just empower young people at a point which they need empowerment. So, Charles, talk to us, first of all, about a new podcast you have launched entitled Raising Other People's Kids. What's that about? Well, um, Raising Other, well, first of all, before I even say thank you for having me on to the program, I appreciate that. Um, Raising Other People's Kids podcast um, is something I kind of came up with. I've had that title in my heart for years. I I really, um, my whole life has kind of been, that's been my experience. Um, I've always helped and worked with other people's kids. I've been a foster parent, like you said, an adoptive parent, a mentor. Um, I was even married and had stepchildren. Um, So, um, you know, my whole life has revolved around other people's kids. So, um, but going back to the original question of what kind of birth this and what, you know, what that's all about. Uh, when I became a foster parent years ago, I, see, I'm, I'll be 49 in about a month from now, and I've been a foster parent since I was 25 years old. Um, when I first became a foster parent, one of the frustrating things about um, being a foster parent were you always, you almost say always, hate using superlatives, but you frequently, um, you know, you'll get social workers who are young, fresh out of college, um, you know, maybe no kids of their own, and that's who your support system is for these troubled, troubled, complex, challenging kids. So, you know, you've got kids who have some very complex issues, and the support has been, um, you know, intentions have been good, but because of a lack of experience from some of the people um, who've been administering, you know, the, the support, um, for me as a foster parent, there's been a breakdown. Um, Never upset with the messenger because I know they're, you know, they're doing what they can do and they've learned. And, you know, as I've been doing this long enough that I've seen some of those just out of college social workers now become very influential, very experienced, very competent. You know, you know, I guess at one point we're all at that point, you know, at a certain level. Um, but you take what's written in books about kids or, you know, and, but there's something different about what, what actually happens day to day sometimes. Um, so somebody who's on the front line of something I want to be able to get practical information. You know, it's easy for, for example, um, um, you know, it, you know, people say don't spank because obviously, you know, being a foster parent, um, you know, it, you know, spanking itself is, is not always the end all to be all anyway. However, um, you know, sometimes if you come from a background where you're used to being spanked and you've, that's been a disciplinary tool you've had, um, it can be challenging when the social worker says you can't spank your foster children. So they say that, don't spank. Okay, if I can't spank, then what are some practical things that I can do to consequence 
to teach, to train um, that don't, you know, that don't involve spanking. Um, and that's just one example. Um, so um, I wanted to be able to give resources because over the years I've learned um, by trial and by error. You know, I've, I've made some mistakes, but I've, I, I think I've done a lot of things right. Um, so I wanted to be able to share that experience and um, that knowledge and that insight with other people. And, you know, a few people know it's kind of interesting. I was telling you this off camera when I first came in for the interview, Pastor. Um, uh, I have a new set of, I hate say a new set of friends, but, um, you know, my background is MC Chaz and, and radio. So uh, a lot of my new friends don't realize, you know, I have a background in stu doing studio work, um, you know, doing rap and um, doing radio broadcasting. So it's kind of interesting even today uh, when I went into one of the schools that I work with, you know, one of the teachers was so surprised. It was like, wow, the program is so great. And, you know, we didn't realize that the production was going to be so awesome. You know, I certainly appreciated the compliment. Um, but, you know, for anybody that knows me from years, years ago, um, you know, that's um, I've always had that experience, you know, you know, from Love 98, for those of you in, in the Indianapolis area that remember WXIR and, you know, the, the rap that I've done. Um, I, that's always been in me. That So I've kind of now I've taken my experience being a broadcaster and um, combined that with my experience working with kids. And, you know, who 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 knew that Pac, years ago that podcasting would be out now and be so popular now? So, uh, you know, I really feel like God gave me a, a, a venue, uh, you know, a stage in a sense to, to, hey, this is what your talents. I mean, the word says your gift makes room for you. And sometimes God will gift you something at birth that the technology for it <laughs> is in the yeah, future. That'll mm -hmm. preach by itself. But yeah. um, I feel like that's, you know, what's happened with me. I tell you, you have produced your first podcast. It's now out on the screen. You'll see an address. You can go to find uh, the podcast or just you can just Newton do a Google search now. Search on Raising Other People's Kids or Charles Brown. He's now on iTunes. You're on Spotify. You're on TuneIn. You're everywhere, Doc. Yeah. You know that's the whole idea. Yeah. And so I like this that you're taking your expertise, both in broadcast and production, and in you know mentoring and, and raising children. And now you've put that and packaged it into a form people can listen and be informed. So again, you want to find that podcast, subscribe to it. It'll come to your device, your phone, laptop, whatever you have. It'll come every episode will be pushed out to your devices. Absolutely. Let me ask you this now then. What is your expertise? Now, obviously, you've been an adoptive parent. You are still a parent, you know. Right. You have had foster children. Uh, now you're working in the schools. What is your expertise in this area of mentoring and helping children? Well, I'll have to say at the, um, you know, when I look back over my life, I think I've got the brunt of my training um, in my opinion, when I worked with Youth for Christ, um, I used to be a City Life Club director uh, for Central Indiana Youth for Christ. A lot of people are familiar with Campus Life, um, but City Life was like an urban wing of, of of Campus Life and City Life. And I was very young, like you know, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. I mean, it was you know, it was back in my. It's, it's hard to remember being eighteen, nineteen, twenty. <laughs> 20. <laughs> yes. um, but the thing that I didn't realize, you know, then was, you know, Youth for Christ has a, um, um, a really a basis in discipleship. And, you know, discipleship is merely, is really mentoring when you think about it. You know, it's, um, you know, everybody wants to have a pulpit now. You know, everybody wants to get behind a pulpit and, and you know, preach to the masses. And, and, you know, that's obviously space and room for that. But, you know, there's uh, that one, nothing beats that one-on-one -on -one connection. 
And that's one thing that Youth for Christ focused on and all the training and um, not just the training I got from seminars and work training and stuff like that, but actually watching guys, you know, like Bill Aiken, which is like a, you know, he, you know, he's like a legend and almost among, among youth work. If you, you know, follow, you follow that. So um, these guys can, you know, just build a rapport relationship with kids. And, um, you know, that's what I've, you know, what I've learned from and, you know, youth ministry. I mean, I was even had the privilege to be on staff with you um, for a moment. And yes. um, that was a, that was a blessing. So, um, that was like the basis. I mean, youth ministry is, is by far the, the nucleus of, of my background and my training because this is a calling, you know. I mean, you know, now doing the podcast, it's not, um, you know, I wouldn't call it a Christian podcast, but I'm obviously a faith, I'm a Christian. <laughs> yes. So there's no way to escape that. So you'll, you know, when you hear me give interviews or you give me, you know, hear my opinion, um, there's no, uh, you know, as a Christian, you're going to hear things from, my, you know, obviously from my, from, my, from my vantage point, but it's not, you know, I wouldn't call it a Christian, po- you know, podcast sure. in the sense of just preaching and, and all that. So Yeah, expertise. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Tony Dungy, they once asked him, he was going to speak at an event. He said, Mr. Dungy, would you please not talk about God? He says, look, I cannot separate that out. <laughs> it's part and parcel of my life. I'm not going to preach. Right. But the fabric of my life is woven by the grace of God and the strength of God. Let me ask you this now, as a foster parent and adoptive parent, uh, what have you learned that's not commonly understood by people who maybe want to consider uh, being a foster parent or adoptive parent? What's not understood? What's some misconception people have about doing that? Wow, so that, that's, a, that's a loaded question. We could probably sit here and talk about that for a long time. I think sometimes you think that, you know, if I love a child, if I show, if I hug them and love them and and take them into my home, and I just let them know that everything's going to be okay, you know, that I understand, you know, and I feel bad about, you know, what they've been through up until the point of them coming with me, that just that love and that um, um, care that I have for them would just make them respond positively to that. <laughs> and I can tell you that that is, you know, sometimes you get kids that are very appreciative and can, and, and can you know, can, can reciprocate that appreciation but oftentimes, you know, just that feeling of love, I love you and I want to help you and rescue you, you know, that does not always translate into that kid having positive behavior, you know, because they feel that sentiment from you. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest things. And, you know, that, um, you know, I've been doing this long enough that there are foster parents who have quit, you know, just like anything else because, you know, they've kind of been disillusioned, you know, that if I take this kid into my home, you know, um, if I buy them something nice, if I show them love, I, you know, put my arm around them and hug them, you know, that's going to wipe away their problems. And it's it's just more complicated than that. So that would probably be one of the biggest, biggest misnomers. And I'm sure that people may consider that there's some kind of compensation for doing the work. But I'm sure, I'm very sure you can't do it for money. Well, you can't do it for money. And I, and I, and I speak to two things of that. You know, first of all, you know, it's, it's, it's no secret that foster parents, you know, receive a, uh, I guess for back of luck, for, it's like, we call it a reimbursement uh, for being foster parents. But um, there's no amount of money that, 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 that they can give you, you know, that, that replaces things that, you know, uh, oftentimes I've put more into it than I've received from the government in most cases. Um, but even on the, but on the flip side of it, too, and, you know, I, I've been doing this for a long time now, Pastor, um, I certainly have had critics um, well, I've had personal critics toward me, and then I've had people who criticize foster parents as a whole who say, well, you just do this for the money. And, you know, my question to them now with confidence is, well, do you, you don't do what you do for free. 
You know, so a lot of times people will try to manipulate you into thinking that because you receive money for helping kids, you know, that that's, that somehow dilutes or minimizes or, uh, you know, what you do. And um, I certainly um, take care of the kid. Anybody that knows me um, knows that my kids are well taken care of. And um, one of the hallmarks of a Charles Brown foster child is you, unless you knew they were a foster child, you wouldn't know they're a foster child. Um, I don't shop at Macy's and buy things for my foster kids, you know, secondhand, <laughs> you know, yes. and that type of thing. My kids are in, you know, the best programs and um, they have the, they afford the same benefits that any other, you know what I'm saying? So yes. I don't, uh, when, when people try to hell, you know, that you're going to have critics. And one thing you right. taught me years ago was, you know, critics are always your biggest spectators. Right. Well, you critics know. are spectators. <laughs> so, On the sidelines, doing yeah, nothing. Absolutely. And they're running them out. Yeah. So I have no, um, you know, I'm I'm almost fifty. I'm be forty nine, but the closer I get to fifty, the less I care what people right. people's comments. <laughs> no, that's right. Let me ask you this, Charles. Uh, you certainly had uh, heartbreaks along the way. You've had a lot of great things happen. Uh, talk about a couple of the, the good stories. Now I'm, I'm aware of a couple of your sons. So talk about some of the tremendous rewarding experiences you've had. Uh, you know, in the midst of the heartbreaks, what's been rewarding for well, you? Well, the about uh, rewarding, I've got a, I, um, well, I'm going to share two things. One story is kind of a combined story than a, and a more recent story. Um, you know, I've ad- I'm an adoptive parent. So, and you've met, you know, my adopted kids. Um, the, the, the good thing, you know, even here at this church, you know, Nicole Kelly was our, one of our, our first social workers, you know, when she was, was doing social work. So she was very instrumental at the beginning, but, you know, my second and third foster sons that I've ever had, you know, are my adopted sons now, and they're adults. And, um, you know, I made a lot of, you know, I feel like I made a lot of mistakes, but what has been rewarding, you know, we're watching their adult life, like, you know, the mistakes you make along the way, um, but then you start to see the fruit, and you go, when you start seeing the fruit of what you've done, then you're like, "Ah, I didn't do so bad after all. I mean, both of my adopted sons come from backgrounds to where, they were, you know, in families that they're the first generation to graduate from high school. Um, both my sons served in the uh, military. Um, both my sons served overseas. They've um, um, One son was in Iraq. Mm. One son was in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, what I like to put a focus point on, not, not only did my, are my sons citizens, they're contributing, cit- you know, members of society. Yes. And that takes a lot to raise, you know, them to that point. Um, my, um, one of the biggest things I like to say that both my adopted sons are married to what I say they're baby mamas. And, and, and you know, we're in a very uh, contemporary world and, you know, where people have different family structures. However, you know, my boys, you know, my grandkids are being raised by their mother, by their father. You know, my, um, um, they've gone through trials like any family does, but they've stuck, you know, they've stuck with it. And, and um, I think that, that speaks a lot into, into, into days, you know, my, my youngest son, you know, he's this year he's married eleven years, mm. and um, wow. <laughs> and like I said, he's a tremendous father, and and you know, getting to um, father fathering him now, I in some ways mentor him in fathering. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And, and um, so and I'm having that that role with my grandkids now, and um, it's an awesome. I mean, I guess if um, you know, not having any biological kids of my own, it's pretty amazing when I think about that. I have grandkids now that actually have my last name. Mm. Um, that you know, um, you know, that will carry on our the brown, you know, my my strand of the of the tree. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not, you know. well, Christ, you know, Christ is only born son of God. Yeah, we're all adopted. Absolutely, <laughs> you know. So, which, so yeah, go yeah. Ahead. Mm-hmm. So my kids, that's been great. But I would say more currently, uh, one of my current um, sons that I have, 
it's been a tremendous, tremendous miracle because he, um, I re, you know, he's 15 now, um, but I got him when he was 11 years old. So he's been with me. Well, this coming summer, it'll be four years that I would have had him. And um, I never forget the very first day that I got, he came to my house. Um, he was at an IPS school. And the, um, I didn't really know him very well because he's only been in my house one day. But the school called me that first day, and they said, Mr. Brown, you've got to come pick him up because he's threatening everybody. Mm. So when I got to the school, there was four police cars at this school, and they were for him <laughs> because he had you know, raised so much havoc in the school building. and they had to call the police. And he was tearing stuff off the walls, threatening people, just, um, you know, it was almost like in a manic state. You know, that was, my, that was my first day. And I remember when I got him, the uh, the social workers um, said, you know, we're going to place him in your home, Charles, but we already know what his issues are. So we're going to place him with your home, but we're already interviewing um, facilities because we think that he's going to definitely need to go to a, a locked facility. Mm. So they placed him with me, you know, while they were already making a plan to, to put him into it. matter of fact, for the first couple of weeks, of him being placed with me, um, you know, different um, social workers would come and talk to him, and he didn't really know it at that time, but they were from different facilities across the state, and they were literally interviewing him to see if he would be appropriate for their facility. And so um, this kid was certainly a, a type of kid that you would, you know, that, that by a lot of people definitely could have been locked up, you know, discarded, locked away. Um, but after having him for a few weeks, I thought to myself, I, I think I can handle this, <laughs> you know. Yes, yes. And we went through a, him and I, we, we can laugh, but we laugh sometimes. We'll sit and eat and we'll laugh about some of the old stories, you know, mm-hmm. from the from the past. But, you know, he's gone from that kid that needed four police cars to subdue him to now, at, you know, he's a freshman in high school. Um, he's a A-B student, I, occasional C but mostly A and B, AAU basketball. Um, I can't remember the last time I got a phone call from the school about his behavior. You know, mm-hmm. um, um, he, it's just it's such a night and day difference. You know what you know what his life and, and how he is and what he's done. And um, I'm very proud of him. And he's certainly yeah. certainly not you know the kid that he was. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking <laughs> Charles. I mean, you know, you you're living this life and you're doing the work, and you really can't see the forest for the trees, man. <laughs> I mean, the impact you're having on these young men is phenomenal. I mean, we can't, you cannot know the alternate story of somebody's life, right, if you didn't right. help them. Right. But we can certainly assume anybody who had four police cars at the school to pick him up wouldn't have gone to a good place without intervention. And not just intervention, but somebody to take him in and to, to love him, to raise him as a son. So I commend you, Charles, you. Know, on behalf of you know all the all of us out here who, who, who can't do what you're doing. Uh, we know we, we just thank God for you, brother. You thank know, you, yes, you. great, great work. Now I go to a larger question here. You know, you're you're working with young people. You're in and out of court sometime uh, with working with all kind of professionals in the field and and practitioners. Let me ask you this: What are some of the greatest dangers that you see that children are facing in today's society? Wow, that's a that's a loaded question. Um, I think part of it is um, part of it is we have a generation of kids that are being I won't even say being raised they're being they cohabitate <laughs> in mm. a house with adults. Wow! So there's a difference between raising a child. You know the Bible says train up a child. So you know being a parent is active. You've got to you know kids don't become a certain way just by osmosis. 
you know, you have to, you know, I mean, there's no manual to parenting. There's no, um, you know, with all your intentionality, you can still make mistakes. And, you know, some of the, some kids can come from good homes and still, you know, make some poor choices. However, um, there is, it, now we've got a generation of kids who just, in my, what I say, cohabitate in the house with adults. They don't necessarily aren't being raised. And um, I could tell you some stories, and it's um, some of the family structures or lack thereof. I mean, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not a, you know, a lot of families are, you know, kids are friends with their parents. You know what I'm saying? Um, rather having that, that really distinct line drawn. And then some of it, I think, today in society, um, Pastor Hudson, um, I think kids are basically the same, but times have changed. So kids have always fought. You know, we, I remember getting into a fight when I was in the fifth grade. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, kids have always fought, but now when they fight, they don't fight with their fist. They don't fight, you know, they fight, they, they fight with guns. And I don't think, uh, I don't want to, you know, sensationalize or kind of over, you know, exaggerate, but uh, because of my work as a mentor, um, uh, you know, I have a lot of young men um, that I work with or have worked with. And so I kind of, there's a whole kind of a subculture and it's, I would say, um, you know, especially, you know, unfortunately in the Indianapolis area, the east side of right now is kind of the hot spot. Years ago, it was it was the west side. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, there's been time with the near east side. So different. The, the hot spots in, in, in our community have kind of hopped around and changed. You know, right now it seems to be the, the east side. It's not, unco- I mean, I was, I don't want to put a percentage on it, but I would say it's not, I'm not exaggerating by saying that the majority, you know, if you're on the east side of town and you see a young man between the eight, 18 and 25 years old walking around you can almost assume he has a gun on him Hmm. you know i don't i don't i don't know what the numbers are you know um but you know and so when you have people with that are on drugs you know marijuana is being used you know it's being smoked like people smoke cigarettes i mean and you know you get drugs and 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 all that and 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 then you know you get complications with um uh, don't know how to solve a conflict you know you know we've all had we've always had conflicts for years you know however you know we have a a group of kids now who they just don't know how to sit down and talk to one another and resolve that conflict so these unresolved conflicts you know where they when you and i were younger will become fisticuffs Mm -hmm. now become guns and Mm -hmm. um you know and um I can't tell you. I mean, that gun violence has been a, is a significant issue here. I mean, last year we had a record number. I think it was one. What was the, the final number? One fifty three, one fifty four. It was. It was in the one fifties. I think it was. Yeah, um, it was the worst year we've had in Indianapolis, and the majority of those were from um, were from you. You know, from young people. Yes. Personally, I've had two past foster sons who have died as a victim of, of gun violence. Mm. You know, that have lived. In, these are kids mm-hmm. that have lived, have lived in my home. Mm. Um, that now are passed away because of gun violence. Um, so it's just, uh, I think some of the problems are similar, but the, 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 the ante is up, you know. <laughs> yes. Well, what can we do? I mean, I'm thinking about um, we have schools. We have, of course, you know, adopted foster parents who are caring, of course, for one child, two or three at a time. But the systemic issue, obviously, is as huge as you described on the east side of our city. So first of all, I'm asking, what can schools do to help improve the situation? And second, I'm asking, uh, what can churches do okay. to help improve the situation? Well, I would say from schools, and uh, you know, first of all, I want to say there's a lot of schools that are doing a lot of positive things. Like, I think sometimes urban schools get a bad rap. Sure do. Um, you know, so um, I'm in urban schools, and um, I really there's a lot of there's so many quality teachers and administrators. You know, from um, that is just. 
Uh, it's like any other profession. The, the majority of everybody has a well-trained, good intention, professional. You know, it just takes one person, <laughs> you know, on a negative side to, 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 to you know, to get to give a get a bad reputation. Right. So, so the premise is everybody is, is has a great heart and intention and, and train well. But I was what I would say what where school can start, um, and one of the things um, that I like about the school district that I'm currently contracted with Warren Township, you know, they have a big push on what's called PBIS. Uh, which is basically positive reinforcements. Mm. So, you know, schools have to be intentional, you know, in, in, in really being positive to really um, be aware of, when, you know, when you interact with a young person, you know, what's, what tone are you using when you talk to that child? You know, are you raising your voice? Are you having a, are you at a conversational voice? Um, you know, really understanding the, uh, the background of the child. Mm. Um, um, it really, uh, teachers really being sensitive to the culture, yes. you know, mm-hmm. uh, I remember when I first began doing this type of work, um, I was at John Marshall, um, at that point it was a middle school, it's going through different transformations, I think it's, I think they closed, is it closed now, is this the last year for John Marshall, I remember. Well, as a high school. As a high school, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um. No, it's going away, I think, entirely. I, I, I you know. Arlington is changing <laughs> yes, to a yes, middle school, I yes. believe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember years ago when I first started doing this work, I had, a, there was a teacher um, I'm, obviously, I'm not going to call any names. I probably shouldn't even call out the school. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I was um, this young man had got up in the middle of the classroom, and I mean, he basically he had a wedgie in his underwear. Mm-hmm. So you know, he stood up, and he um, he didn't drop his jeans, but he um, you know, but he he unbuckled himself. And he adjusted himself because he had a wedgie. You know what I'm saying? I mean, who hasn't had a wedgie? Right. <laughs> so ahead, the, this, the, the teacher's first reaction, you know, was to write him up for, you know, right. being inappropriate, being indecent in right. the classroom. So from, from one lens, from one perspective, yeah, you've got, you can't have boys in a classroom taking their jeans off. and You know what I'm saying? So, Fixing wedgies. Or yeah. Whatever. But then I explained to the teacher, because I was actually in that classroom. I okay. said, young, I said, I said um, you know. I won't say the name, but I said, um, you got to realize this young man lives at home right. with multiple kids, multiple cousins and, and brothers and siblings and sleeping on couches t- two or three deep sometimes. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Right. So when you, you know, when you share a bedroom with two or three people or you have, you know, or everybody's piled up in the, in the living room, you mm. know, that way, I said modesty <laughs> isn't always, you know, I, you know, I try to explain to the teacher the intention of the young man was not to be indecent. That's a great point. Uh, Excellent perspective. And, you know, he was close to getting himself referred. Mm -hmm. And the teacher, after I talked to the teacher, you know, he was willing to stop and reevaluate what he was doing. You know, certainly he needs to be taken aside and taught, you know, what, you know, how to handle that. But, you know, his intention was not to be indecent in the classroom. He just Mm -hmm. didn't, he didn't, modesty was out the window from his, the way he was being raised. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Heard a story one time. Context is so important, and it's a great story you shared, Charles, because it highlights a big issue with schools that, you know, everyone needs to understand where people are coming from. I remember I heard a story about a young lady, a student in English class, writing a story. And the story, one line said, uh, she wrote, he ain't got no sense. Teacher said, no, no, you want to see he doesn't have any sense. She says, no, he ain't got no sense <laughs> in the story. Mm. The narrative, so it fit the story narrative, and she missed the fact the student was actually thinking on the level of a real conversation right. among real people. But she jumped in to say, to correct her English, right. not respecting the fact that she was actually understanding the content of her story. 
Your point is well taken that sometimes kids do things. We frame everything up in our context, Absolutely. how we see the world. And that's such a mistake because we end up um, being punitive with people, young people, when we could have opened a bridge to them to understand them better Absolutely. and gain their respect. Absolutely. Yes, sir. What else you And I think when you, you know, when you, um, and piggybacking off of that, I think when, when teachers recognize those type of things, you know, uh, you know, they're teachable moments. You know, when you go to that kid and you take him aside and you say, you know, uh, let me, sh- you know, let me talk to you about, you know, decency and how you're supposed to, you know, you know, what's another way you could have did, you know, maybe you could have asked to, to, um, to leave out the room for a moment to, to get yourself adjusted. You know, when you give that kid some options rather than just ready to send him to the office, um, that's an opportunity for you to really build rapport and a connection, yes. you know, with that kid. I think so rapport is, is a powerful thing. You know, when people connect at a, at a, at a, at a human level, and um, I think when teachers, and the best teachers that I've seen, you know, have that ability to connect with a student beyond the academics and connect um, to, that, to that soul, to that person, to that child. Um, so that, that is, that's extremely important. All right. How can churches help? Wow, so that's another. <laughs> and you know, how are we hurting, and how can we help? Honestly. Well, I mean, like, like I said before, I think I think intentions are always good. Um, I think I don't want to use the word evolved because I think when you say evolved, I think that sets a premise of um, um, you know where things are changing. I think you know, in a, in a church setting, the Bible stays the same, so you never have to compromise what you believe. But I think you have to always reevaluate. The methodology. Yes, sir. You have to always reevaluate, you know, the how and the and the nuts and the and the nuts and the bolts. Um, I mean, I, I think similar to the school, I think the rapport is is important. And um, I remember being in youth ministry, um, not at this church, but I was working with a different church, and um, <laughs> it, was, it was it was a matter. It's a, it's amazing what the battles can become in youth ministry. But um, this church had a rule that the boys could not wear hats on the inside. So you had, you know, and, and I do understand the cultural, um, there's a, the cultural thing behind males and hats. And um, so there was literally every time, you know, it was every time a kid would come into the youth group, you know, the youth workers would say, take, you know, take your hat off, take your hat off. And, you know, some of the boys would just do it willingly, but some of the kids were like, why do I got to take my hat off, you know? And, um, I remember we had a meeting with, uh, I was meeting with all the, the, the workers, and I was like, why? I, I, I proposed a question. Mm-hmm. Wh- why? Just when you say, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, these boys got to learn how to respect, and how, 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 how is a hat being on your head, you know, mm-hmm. respectful, disrespectful? Because it's a, you know, you know I understand etiquette, but who <laughs> But it's but t- times have changed. Does it bother God? Right. Does it bother God? And I think now you know hats and mail hats are um, hats are um, fashion statements. Mm-hmm. You know. So I um, you know once upon a time you know women only were you know would just wear hats fashion wise. But I don't know. It's just uh, I just don't. Understand. Sometimes we just pick those type of battles in the church. Yes. You know, because this is the way grandma did it and this did, you know what I'm saying? And, right. um, you know, so this is the way we grew up and did it. So we, we get stuck in those types of things where we're not really able to just keep our foot on uh, what's going on currently, you know, with yeah. young people. And that one issue there, it's a simple issue, but it highlights a big issue that we put our religious preference over actually helping people. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus, it's a story where Jesus um, healed a man who was lame. 
brought him in the bed, and the man was healed and picked up and carried his bed off. <laughs> yeah. And what the religious leader said, you can't carry your bed on the Sabbath. Like, dude, he got healed, man. They actually missed, they missed the miracle, mm-hmm. being so focused on their religious dogma. So we all got religion in us. We need to understand. I mean, protocol, courtesy, th- those are customary things. I'm talking about missing a need, missing an opportunity to help somebody, or worse, is to hinder somebody through, you know, through something. I mean, it's youth group in the back of the church, and guys got their hats on. Now, come on. Right. What's yeah. the problem with that? Exactly, see? exactly. I mean, why would you risk a relationship, you know, over a hat? When the opportunity is going to arise, well, you can wear hats here, not over here. I mean, give them a sense of, <laughs> of what's appropriate, and that way you connect with them. But a right. law that says no hats, right? you can't even explain it why you have that policy, all it does, it builds walls, puts up barriers, and kids don't want to come back. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Bottom line. Absolutely. I'm very intrigued by this podcast again. You've, uh, your first podcast I heard was interviewing uh, a judge, what was his name? The judge, judge? Jeffrey Gaither. Right? Yeah, and that was a marvelous interview. Again, on the screen you'll see an address you can go to find uh, Charles Brown's podcast, Raising Other People's Kids. And uh, what do you plan in the future as far as other interviews and how you tend to use this voice to help people. Well, we've understand. got, I mean, even though this next, I would say between January and February, I mean, obviously I'm already planning the next shows and there'll, there'll be a new one up here by the end of the week. Um, but um, I've reached out. I mean, you know, my, I have a lot of friends that I, people that I really do call friends that are, that are, have a high level of professionalism and, and expertise in this work. So um, I don't at all, I'm not at all trying to reinvent the wheel. I certainly don't think I'm the smartest person in the room all the time. As a matter of fact, I heard it said, if you are the smartest person in the room, you need to find a new room. (laughs) So the people that are smarter than me in these particular areas, um, I've called upon. I mean, I've I've got therapists that are that are that are going to be on talking about um, working with strong willed children, um, children that that have been affected by trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a that's a big thing right now. Trauma. I mean, you think about this, um, Pastor Hudson. Uh, when soldiers come back from, you know, war, um, we call it PTSD, can get the acronym correctly, mm-hmm. P- PTSD. I think that's correct. Post, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes, disorder. disorder. Mm-hmm. So what do you think it's like for a child to be ripped away and removed from his family? Mm-hmm. So you get kids, I mean, it's abnormal to have your, your, your uh, be, to leave your family. So even if you have never suffered abuse, even if you... Um, you know, even if you've never had anything traumatic happen to you, you know, from the neglect or abuse, the very act of being removed from your home is traumatic. Yes. Um, so, you know, you get behaviors and, you know, a lot of times people look at the behaviors and they're like, why is this kid doing this? Well, he's, you just took him away from his mom and his dad. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, so I have therapists that are come on and going to talk about the dynamic, um, of mm. how to work with that kid and, um, and some things that work and, Obviously, my expertise of I've you know therapists who have kind of the more clinical. I don't propose to be a therapist. I don't have those initials. I don't want you know you know my slant is when these kids are in my home. This is what I've done. But I'm certainly going to have others who have that expertise to come on and kind of give some more of that statistical and that you know book knowledge of things. Yes. Um, we got. I have another person we lined up talking about working with sexually maladaptive youth. Um, they're going to be on doing a program. 
Um, I've got a, uh, another guest lined up who will be speaking about um, special education. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really important, Article 7 and the different things that we're, you know, I mean, a lot of the things in our podcast, even though it's for foster and adoptive and, you know, some of this stuff, well, a lot of it, if you just have kids in general, you know, it's going to be very helpful and very insightful. Well, I was going to raise that very point. I'm glad you mentioned <laughs> that. I was going to say that this is certainly not a podcast or resources just for people who are adoptive parents or foster parents, all parents. These right. are, I mean, raising children is, is um, is you know, the same principles apply. Yeah. There are special issues, of course, with kids you adopt and right. foster kids. I got a stat in front of me now. We did a series on mental health, a video series we did uh, last year or 2016. 50% of all lifetime cases of mental illness began by age 14. Wow. And 75% by age 26. And, and so the stat tells us that, you know, we need to get a hold of kids while they're kids. Right. Because mental illness begins in mental distress, trauma, mental trauma. Trauma and distress are onset factors to mental illness. And so as much as we can do to help stabilize a young person early in life and give them structure, it's going to help, you know, push back the onset of mental illness. And um, going back to a question you asked me about what the church can do, and it just triggered me when I saw your stats there about mental health. I think one thing the church does, I don't know if we always accept the fact that mental health is an issue. And so what, I think what we do in, in, in mental in churches is when, you know, if, if somebody is exhibiting behavior that is, that is, um, that is a mental health, you know, we are, you know, you, you know, I hate to use the word crazy or, you know, or, you know, they got a demon or, you know what I'm saying? And they want to spiritualize that part of it. And, you know, I don't want to get into the, the, the theology of it, you know, at this point, but, you know, there, there probably certainly is, um, there's a differentiation between people who have who who are dealing with some type of spirit versus mental health. It's, yeah. it's not the same. No, and I think in the church in the church world, I think is they want to subscribe to that. Well, and the term I use, Charles, is called we spiritualize. Okay? Spir- Spiritualizing absolutely. things. And let me give an example, a perfect mm-hmm. example, and this really fits the uh, the mode of a lot of foster kids I've had in my house. You think about a, a mother who has done drugs or alcohol, you know, in natal. You know, fetal alcohol syndrome, mm-hmm. um, for example. You know, when a, when a mother does drugs, does alcohol while she's pregnant, that affects the brain cells. There is no that all, not only affects the that, that alters yeah brain alter, development. Yeah. It alters. So when mm-hmm. that child comes out, you know, a a quote unquote normal child, you can say sit down and he can sit down, stay still. You know what I'm saying? A child who has uh, been affected by drugs and alcohol in the womb, you say sit down. He's not wired the same. She's not wired the same. Correct. So you're going to tell him or her to sit down. Three seconds later, he's going to pop right back up. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, why in this kid? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, so you've got to be able to, inter- as a church and as a community, be able to interface with mental health resources because mental health is just as real. You know, I'm asthmatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, I take my inhaler when my lungs are getting congested. Yes. Well, there's things that I, somebody who has mental health, you know what I'm saying? If oh, yeah. Mental health is just as real as physical mm-hmm. as, as any other type. Yeah. Of, uh, I'm going to share now. We're on this discussion. Matter of fact, I'm going to put on the screen a link. You can go to Healthy Mind, Healthy City. And, matter of fact, a coalition of pastors and um, 
In fact, Dr. Virginia Kane helped us with this too. Put together a three-part video series on mental health awareness. And it's a very important issue because stigma is the worst thing. Yeah. The idea that, you know, we, we the term crazy, you know, goes around. But stigmatizing prevents people from getting help. And again, this whole context of children and youth, it's all one big picture because one in five people have some sort of a, a mental health or emotional uh, issue. And, you know, so one in five, one in five, which means let's, let's take this seriously. Let's not ever trivialize and make fun of people because, you know what, you or I may be in need. And if we go around making fun of it, then we won't get help or reach out to those who need help. So I'm sure you, you know, have had experience, Charles, with, uh, with your boys, yeah. you know, have had to address those issues. Absolutely. Because if you address it early, I mean, it's not like there's a weakness involved with people. It's just the situation, circumstances have triggered, um, you know, stresses that have, have pushed in the wrong direction. But there's thing is, the stat also says that when you get help, everybody recovers. There's recovery. Right. I mean, unless there's an organic issue, you know, actual brain damage, any kind of behavioral issue, over time, all things being equal and God working and people loving, people can get help and people can most definitely change. Absolutely. I think sometimes, and I've always said this in the Bible, you know, one of the gifts of the Spirit is, um, is, is healing. And mm-hmm. I think the way the Bible says it is gifts of healings, plural. Yeah, gifts of healings. Of healings. And I think, mm-hmm. a lot, you know, a lot of times Christians are, you know, we think the, uh, you know, you just pray, pray, pray. And I certainly believe in prayer. I've been a, I'm a product of prayer. So right. you can't, you can't outpray me. Or, and, I, and, I, and I had too many examples of what prayer does in my yes. life. Right. However, with gifts of healings, I certainly believe that God has many ways he can manifest a healing for a person. No doubt. You know, he can, yeah, some, for somebody, he might choose to just lay hands on that person and mm-hmm. they just instantly get a manifestation. Oh, yeah. But in, in a lot of times, um, you know, seeing a therapist could be a, a, a gift of healing. You know, no if, doubt. if it's going to help you. Faith without works is dead. You know, man. a lot of parents, yeah. especially um, African-American parents, fight that whole medicine thing. Um, but there, I definitely, I certainly believe that medicine is overprescribed in a lot of cases. However, there are often cases where it's, you know, it's needed. You know right. what I'm saying? And, you know, when those cases where you can medically prove that those, those wires are crossed, mm-hmm. you have to have, you know, there's chemical imbalances that have to be balanced out and medicine helps, Absolutely. helps to it's, do that. Right. So that's, but that's one of God's gifts of healing. Yeah. And people don't, you sure. know, the, the miracle, you know, God put that into that doctor, that chemist, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to create, create those things. So I, well, I'm all for you know, all. how about this? I mean, when somebody has financial issues, okay, we can pray over our finances. Right. But if I don't handle my checkbook, <laughs> no right. matter prayer, Right. It's going to make a difference, right? right? Right. So faith without works is dead. Right. Then people are not spiritualized, physical or mental issues. So those memes going around Facebook that if I just like or share that pile of money, that's not going to get no, money to I don't, come to me. No, man, I don't do none of that. I mean, <laughs> that's the kind of foolishness. We, we, we console ourselves <laughs> right. with taking a poll or passing on a like on Facebook when actually we ought to get with people, sit down with people, love people, Get help for people and, our, and for ourselves because God has given us resources to help us in our physical, in our financial, in our emotional, in our mental. And it's no different than taking medicine. I'm diabetic. Mm-hmm. I take medicine every day. I'm praying about it. You know, losing weight will help. But I, I know skinny folk who are diabetic. <laughs> right. So the point is, we, you know, reasonable people don't have a problem with this. You know, 
medicine work better with God than without God. Mm-hmm. But my point is, it's not, we, we get that. It's, it's the mental and emotional issues where we have this problem with getting help. I got a quote in front of me now uh, from my video series. Here's the issue. Uh, Dr. Janet Taylor said, people, black folk, honestly, mm-hmm. say this, I don't want anyone in my business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I, and I, and I have to deal with my problems myself. That phrase, I don't want with anyone in my business, and I got to deal with my problems myself. Now that that's just self defeating right there. Right. But when people have a mindset, stay out of my business, I do it myself. That's just a recipe for disaster. Right. You agree? I agree, hundred percent. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, Charles, we come to the end of our time here together. My final question is just ask you, what do you want to say to our viewers and listeners, anything we haven't covered or anything on your heart you want to share now with our viewers and listeners here on Vision Stream Network? Uh, well, I, I want to say thanks again for having me on, of course. Um, I, I guess I want to, you know, shameless plug to, to, you know, raising other people's kids' podcasts. Is, you know, for me, anybody who's known me over the years, this is kind of, um, I will say, like icing on the cake. So, um, you know, for some people, you know, that have, that have just now familiarizing themselves with me, you know, they're like, wow, this thing is so great. And, you know, the, the quality is good. And I certainly appreciate the accolades. But I really believe that God has put me in a position to where all the things that I've done throughout my whole life is kind of coming to this moment, you know, yes. to where I can, you know, share share this with people. So I just want to I just want to offer you the opportunity to, to check it out maybe you know i've gotten a lot of likes and stuff on facebook but i, I you know but it's kind of likes are interesting because i've actually ran into people that have actually liked it because everybody on my facebook page i know personally so sometimes people like it and some of the same people that have liked it i'll see them in public and i'll be like well did you listen to it no <laughs> uh, i'm about to get to that so so go beyond the like yeah. and get to the listen get to the listen um, so i certainly have had a lot of people listening and give me some positive feedback but 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 like it and and then share it you know because it's um you know podcasts or things it's, it's it's free information and it's some of the information you're going to get you know you know from the first episode from the up, upcoming episode some of this information is stuff you'd have to pay hundreds and thousands of dollars to get from somebody in a college or from a at a workshop and you know you get the opportunity just to get it from hitting the download so um you you, you got to be able to invest in yourself and feed yourself information and um, there's no better investment than that investment you make it to make yourself better good well said we've been speaking with charles brown from the vision mentoring group llc uh i trust you were inspired were informed and that you have gained insight from what you've heard today and again we offer these conversations here on vision stream network and there are other conversations as well you can go to our podcast like our Facebook page and check the website out on the screen there below you. And again, thank you for watching or listening. Until next time, God bless.